If you're brand new uh, and this shine thing is, is weird to you because one, you may not know what it's about, so you can go on the internet. Don't go during the sermon. That would really hurt my feelings. But uh, that you can go to our app, you can go to the website, and you can learn a ton, not just about actually, uh, not just about this year's shine offering. We're a church that tries to be as open-handed as possible, where it's not just like, hey, you should give to the church. That's neat. Who knows what we're going to do with it? We're going to buy a private jet. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do weird stuff with it. We want you to know where that's going. And so if, if you and I are able to together put money together that will allow us to uh, make the kids' areas better, get transportation for students so they can get to camp and stuff like that and, and provide workshops, I think that sounds like a great Christmas present. So, but if you want to know, go on the internet. Also, you'll learn. You can go do your own research. You'll find what we've done in the past years. Because if you want to know if I'm aware, I'm aware that sometimes we're a bit skeptical about giving to a church. It's a little weird sometimes. What are you going to do with it? You can go and find out all that on the internet. You're welcome. But I want you to have that info, okay? So hopefully you'll do that. Uh, I'm going to talk to you today about peace. Some of you are like, where's that and what is that? Uh, If you've... If you've got a rambunctious house, if you've got a stressful job, if you've gotten bad news, if you've got an uncertain thing coming your way, you're like, peace, yeah, it happens after Christmas, even though we talk about it during Christmas. Peace is interesting because uh, my home, we've got four kids, a wonderful wife, but we added to it, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Katie added to it uh, a, a, a puppy. We have a puppy. Yeah, that's precious. Uh, so we have a puppy, uh, and, and the timing that, that we as a collective uh, married couple have chosen uh, is to also introduce a puppy while we have a three-year-old. And we thought, this makes sense. This is logical. Uh, and then let's, let's do this, you know, during the holiday season. So, so we have all that. All, I, just, I just want you to know the context. Uh, one, that we have a real home. Uh, two, uh, I, one of my favorite times of the year is college basketball season. And so I, uh, one of the gifts that my wife gives me, we talked about this in premarital counseling, just so you know, that, that I want to watch college basketball, specifically the Kansas Jayhawks. Don't hate on, just I'm just telling you, reigning national champions. Anyways, uh, so I love to sit and watch. It's, it's, some of you have hobbies. That's literally, I, I, I follow the team I've been following since I was a little kid, like a big deal. Uh, my emotions are connected to it. I should be working on that. So while I'm watching a game that I love to watch, I've got a puppy. We're all here, maybe one of the older kids going, hey, Annie, the puppy, just in case you don't know the names of everyone in our home, has peed on the, in the, on the kitchen floor. I'm like, fantastic. Uh, and then the three-year-old is, is running around, like laps you know, around me, around me. And, and I want to be a good dad, give attention, but I'm like, but this is like the hour and a half. I want this hour and a half. And, and then there's just the stress of normal, right? Maybe you've been there where you're like in your home and there's nothing peaceful about your home. You just want to do your thing. Well... We subscribe to something called YouTube TV. That's how we're, I'm seeing the game through that. What's interesting about YouTube TV is when they don't have an ad to run, like you, you'll see commercial after commercial after commercial. When they don't have a slot filled, they fill the slot with uh, beach scenery, mountain scenery, and my favorite, rainforest scenery. Have you ever been there before? If, if you haven't, I thought I'd help a little bit. It's just... Some of you are telling me, David, don't preach anymore. Just... 
and I'll be stressed out. Maybe my team has just given up 10 points they should not have given up. I just cleaned up pee and I just missed half of this. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated. But then I'll get back in the chair, watch this, the commercial, I'm, I'm, I'm amped, I'm charged. And this shows up and I'm like, oh. And then the next commercial comes or the game comes on and I, I lose my, my sense of peace. Uh, what's fascinating is I got into this because I, I thought this is curious that they're wasting space here. Uh, just for my peaceful moment. They're not. They don't have the ad sold yet. That's what they're doing. Uh, but enough of the subscribers have actually asked, would you make a channel, YouTube TV, just of those? And I think I know why. We need peace. And we're not quite sure how to get that. You and I have a tendency to think about peace as being circumstantial, don't we? We think about when, you, when you're just processing now peace, I want peace, you're thinking about some things kind of quieting down. You're, you're thinking about maybe a serene moment. And, and we've learned that I think I crave this. And you do, by the way. I think from what I study, of, my study of Scripture, is God made you and I to actually need peace that your bodies need it, your minds need it, and definitely our souls need it. Need that perhaps that gives you a little insight into the Sabbath or this idea of the day of the Lord, why we stop striving. And maybe that was a portion of that, that, that all of a sudden we would begin to experience a peace that we didn't the other days of the week. If you study the Bible, you'll learn about God being described as, a, as an agent of peace. Go to Romans, I'll show you just one spot here. The God of peace, I find it fascinating in this wording, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And many of us are like, that's exactly how I will get my peace? <laughs> Is that dude will get squished and squashed and put away. But look at how, look at how God is talked about. Names of God. That we would ascribe to God, yes, comforter, shepherd, uh, defender, warrior, but the peace. Uh, I'm not confident we know what peace is. Uh, peace by definition, uh, and there's multiple definitions. I'm going to take you to the Hebrew. If you're new to the Bible, you're like, why is he talking about Hebrew? Uh, if you read your Bible, the first section, the first part, most of that was originally written in Hebrew, and that's why a, a person like myself will say, let's talk about the Hebrew, because the original meaning means something. Uh, Hebrew, shalom. You probably have heard this before. If you're from the south, shalom y'all, right? Like that, you know that kind of thinking. Shalom, shalom is, uh, sometimes we think it's, oh, it's hello and goodbye. It's what many cultures will actually speak to each other like shalom, and that's like, hi, and then shalom, bye. But it's, it's deeper than that when you see the original meaning here. There's, the, there's some harmony, completeness, this absence of strife. Doesn't that sound nice? A day absent of any and all strife, peace. When you read about peace, you need to know that's what it means. We've gotten kind of weird on our pursuit of peace, just so you know. Now, some of you, you tell your phones when to alert you and when not to, but some of us are not good at that and we still get alerted. <laughs> In South Korea, uh, there, it's such a demand on academic life and work life. If you don't know this about our world, usually one of the top three countries on the amount of hours people work, South Korea usually gets into the top three. That's not a compliment. At one time, the normal work week in South Korea was 68 hours, not 40, 68. They've lowered that in theory. So what comes with that, right? 
uh, pressure for academia, that kind of like, gotta get, 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 get this grade, gotta get this degree, and work, stress, no peace. So here's what South Korea did. Someone started a prison, a fake voluntary prison that you go to, you choose to go to. The guys at the jail watching this right now are going, what in the world? Like, because it's like, no, just $90, you pay $90 a day to be brought in, given a blue jumpsuit, circled up, you're given the rules. The rules are very simple. Uh, You cannot take your phone into your cell. There will not be a clock, no clocks allowed in your cell, and you may not speak to other inmates. These people are, are volunteering for this. Like, they've not done anything wrong. You're like, who are these people? They're stressed out people. I think some of them are parents going, this is my only option. Right? When they go there, they're given a meal in the morning, some sort of like rice soup of, of sorts. And then in the evening for dinner, they're given a steamed potato and a banana shake, and that's it. I would be like, once I knew the menu, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to find another option here. Uh, some of the comments of the folks who go to this, you will find a bit haunting. Because what they find is after 24 hours of being in a self-selected prison cell, you know what they come out saying? I'm not leaving prison, I'm going to prison. Think about what that says about you and I. And I think it, I think it comes over to us. You might say, well, well, of course, people get stressed because they can't manage their schedules. And you might say, that's your fault. That's your thing. You should be able to say yes to what you should say yes to and know what you should say no to. And, but I think it tells us even something deeper. Why do these individuals, why can't they just go to a room in their house and talk to their family and say, don't come in. I'm going to save us $90 and I'm going to eat a whole lot better. Right? <laughs> like, why, can't, why aren't they doing this? And I think that's why of all the lessons we can learn, one of them is, is we need help getting peace. It's a basic lesson. And right now, I think we live in a culture that is so uh, individualistic that says what you want, you should go get, but you choose, it's all on you. And many of us, specifically with the peace thing, are trying to get peace all on our own, and we're not landing there. Christmas brings up peace. Fascinating, isn't it? Where Christmas, unlike most holidays, we're doing more for Christmas than we do for other things. I know some of you decorate for everything. Good for you. But Christmas is one of the busiest, highest pressure, highest expectation, highest letdown moments of the whole year. Yet you and I are supposed to say, let's talk about peace. Here's where I think this comes from. It's in the Christmas story, uh, Luke chapter 2. Suddenly, uh, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, and note what they say about this moment, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased, peace on earth. If you'll read your history, guess what doesn't happen from that point on? All wars don't go away. Everyone doesn't all of a sudden say, I'm not mad at them anymore. What's he talking about? What are they talking about? I think a a far deeper meaning, but you and I hear peace on earth. Jesus brought peace on earth, and you and I begin to wonder, is peace on earth even possible? 
it, it could be as close to you as your home right now. Some of you are preparing for finals. Some of you weren't preparing for finals, but now you're going to prepare for finals. Some of you are looking at your business. It's getting to the end of the year, and you're wondering, did, did, we, did we achieve? Did we get what we needed to get? Not just wanted to get, but what we needed to get. Do you see what? It, right now, there's a lot of us going. Is peace on earth possible ever, but is it even possible during Christmas? I think I know the, the tension that you and I are facing. When I bring up peace and you're like, yeah, everything's not chill. Here, here, peace. When you're thinking about peace, you're typically going to one or the other. The problem you're thinking about right now or presence, the presence of people around you, not like presence you're opening, but the presence of the people around you. When you and I talk about peace, you and I have a tendency to actually go more towards what problem do I have, and when that problem gets fixed, and that problem might have a first name and a last name, and you're like, well, yeah, and, and you're like, when that gets resolved, then you'll have peace. And I would say, and I'm going to show it to you in the Bible, I, I think peace has more to do with presence than it does problems. And why many of us right now do not have peace is because the problems could have like stacked up on you or be so big or be so personal or so like impossible. You're like, there's no way I get peace. Yet God, the God of peace wasn't lying. No one's lying in this. We're just missing it. So I want to take you to a story uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Judges. If you've never read the book of Judges, it sounds kind of judgy. That's not the terminology. If you, if you read the book of Judges, you know what it's all about? Grace. It's all about, in fact, if you want to know what Jesus did, but you've read it and you're not getting it, you can actually go to the book of Judges and learn about people who did not deserve to be used by God, but are used by God. It's, it's a very significant, powerful book. In the book of Judges, there's a story about a guy named Gideon, but I I want to set the groundwork or let the scripture actually tell us something that's significant. I think it applies to your life and mine. Uh, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. If you don't know, you don't, the Midianites, the bad guys. <laughs> Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian and Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel camping in the land and destroying crops, not just gathering the crops and stealing them, but destroying them as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. It's speaking to how many there were. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. That's what you and I would have done, right? You find yourself absolutely starving. Your family is starving. You can't plant a row of corn anywhere because as as, as soon as you plant it, it might get destroyed. But maybe when it's time to harvest, someone will just steal it. Can you imagine living a life where you were so afraid to do anything that produced any kind of food or income that you had to do it in secrecy? or the bad guys would show up. If you don't know, this is a glimpse into terrorism. terrorism. This idea of controlling a group of people, and the way you control the group of people is to control the food and their actual well-being, to actually attack that to where now they're terrified living in caves. Can we agree? 
that peace is hard to find in that situation? Well, with it difficult to find, Gideon comes up. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now, just so you know, I don't know anything about wine presses. I don't know much about wheat, and I grew up in Kansas. But anyways, I don't know a whole lot about this stuff. But here's what I know. Uh, you don't typically thresh wheat in a wine press. It typically, it, anyways, so hiding from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He's hiding, literally in such secrecy, trying to get food and to prepare food so that no one knows. If you want to know his state of mind, angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That's like an annoying thing pastors say. When you tell, you tell maybe a pastor, you're thinking about your problem, you're like, David, I'm wrestling with you, with this. I'm, I'm going through, and, and then the pastor's like, well, okay, uh, God's with you. And you're like, this didn't work. This didn't, think about this. He's hiding, trying to come up with some sort of food for he and maybe his family. Uh, an angel shows up and says, God is with you. You and I would have doubts on that one. And that's exactly what Gideon had. Here, uh, verse uh, 13. Sir, if you want to know if he was raised right, apparently he was. Sir, <laughs> if, I'm going to read this slowly, if, you don't know state of mind, he's heard that the Lord is with him, not sure, if the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? If you haven't said that to God before, you probably will find yourself saying that to God sometime. If you're for me, if you're with me, then why, and you can fill in your own blank. I love how the Bible doesn't hide the truth. And I relate to this, right? You probably do too. If you're with me, why do I have problems? You see where his head's at? Problem, I got problems. But let me keep reading this. Uh, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us? Notice the language. Oh, he's talking about presence. And he's like, I don't see, and handed us over to the Midianites. Do you notice that even in the midst, Gideon's like, like showing his hand, he's like, okay, okay, I got problems, and, and you want to talk about where God is, I got problems, and because I got problems, God's not with me, not with us. Let's keep reading and see what God has to teach us in this. Then the Lord turned to him and said, <laughs> if you know what I'm about to read to you, um, I'm going to add to your problems. I love this part. This, I love it because it's not my life. But anyways, uh, then the Lord turned to him and said, okay, you got problems. I hear your problems. Uh, go with the strength you have. Remember, he's been starving. And rescue Israel from the Midianites. It sounds like God's being insensitive. <laughs> I am sending you and Gideon just stays right there. But Lord, no, but Lord, like you have a little bit of the, eh. How can I rescue Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I got a problem. And I'm the least in my entire family. There's another problem, God. If you've missed the whole sermon to this point, you're like, what was he saying? I forget. Uh, Here, let me summarize this. This is the conversation in scripture we're saying. You got Gideon saying, hey, I got problems. My problems, my problems. And you got God speaking an entirely different subject, but I'm with you, I'm with you. My presence, I'm with you. You ever feel that when you pray to God, God, would you take care of this problem? And God doesn't remove the problem. You wonder if God is even with you or is he, if he's even heard you. And let's have a, can we have a mature conversation? That some of us treat God like the only role he plays in our life is to remove the problems in our life. What if there's something better than that? God stays true with what he's doing. Judges 6.16, some of you might need to make this a part of uh, how you live your life. The Lord said to him, I, I will be with you. You notice he doesn't say, you know, you're right. You're not a very good warrior. I've watched from afar. It's, it's not pretty. Do you notice he doesn't say, you know what, you've been starving. I'd like for you to get yourself kind of fattened up a little bit. You need to do a workout routine. Get a little bit stronger. You notice he doesn't say that. God says, I'm aware that you are weak. I'm aware that you're the least of, and that's exactly why I want you. Could you and I be missing something about God where we thought following the way of Jesus was getting onto Jesus' team so we wouldn't have any problems? And God's like, I got something better. I will be with you in your problems. I think in our culture nowadays, we know how to solve so many problems these days that we've begun to actually attach that to God and think that the best version of life is a problem-free life. And God would say, no, the best version of life is me with you. Let's do this. And we've lost this. So much so that I think many of us are wondering and questioning the actual existence of the almighty God, not because we don't see it in creations, because we've got problems. And then get more in line with our subject. Someone was like, I don't have peace. Could it be that you've neglected the presence of God? So Gideon has this back and forth with God. It's kind of funny, but not, where he goes to God like, okay, so if you're with us, how do I even know it's you, God? This is kind of how you and I do. Like we get the, the question answered, then we just change the question. And so back and forth with God, eventually God like makes fire consume this uh, sacrifice that he puts together. And, and eventually Gideon does land at, oh my, this is God and God is with me. And I want to show you what he does because it's connected to peace. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there once he recognizes this and named it Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Gideon gets peace because he gets God's presence. Notice, Gideon's like, um, I'm weak, I can't do this, I'm freaked out, did you just see me hiding? I've got all these problems, all this stuff. We know and we can agree, Gideon doesn't have peace. He is worked up, he is afraid, he is struggling, but then as the story plays out, all of a sudden, we got him building an altar, and look at what he names the altar. 
peace. It shows you that fixing your problems is not where you're going to find your peace. Gideon still had to lead a group of people to battle that he didn't know how to do any of that. He still was hungry, but he had peace. Here's the lesson I've learned in life. Life is less complicated when you live like God is here. It, Gideon didn't get everything answered. He wasn't like, well, how are we going to do this? How is this going to play out? What's going to happen? Um, uh, all, all of a sudden, it's less complicated. I'm not saying it's easier, but it's less complicated. You and I have a tendency to overcomplicate life. You don't need to nod your head. Your spouse can nod your head for you. You and I overcomplicate stuff. And life is not near as complex or confusing if you're willing to say, God is here. I've got a buddy. Uh, he pastors on the West Coast. Um, his name's Ricky. He is afraid to fly. I smile. I shouldn't, but we might give him a hard time for it. Anyways, he's, a, he's afraid to fly. I'll tell you why. Serious. Uh, about 12 years ago, he was on an airplane, and, and one of the engines blew up. Uh, he survived, but since then, he's not too keen on flying. It's not his favorite thing to do. Fast forward not too long ago, he was on an airplane and the airplane hit turbulence. And as he would describe it, it was the worst turbulence he has ever experienced on an airplane. And he's flown quite a bit. I don't know how you are on an airplane. I know that when we hit turbulence, <laughs> at least my whole family looks at me as though I have any clue of what's going on, right? This is what we do. You look to the person you feel safe with. Well, my buddy, he's afraid of flying, afraid of flying. Turbulence is just like run right into this. And, and life now has immediately gotten complicated, right? Now you begin to think, what do I do? But he's married. He's got kids, little kids. And he's going, oh, what do I do? And he's freaked out. He thinks he's going to die. All this is going to perish. This is bad. Now his head is like down in, like in between his legs, freaking out. Then he has this thought. He remembers that when people were boarding, that across the aisle, one of them looked different, was dressed different. It was a pilot getting a ride home. And he had this thought, as he's freaking out, he's thinking, I'm going to try to get brave enough to look up in the midst of this turbulence. I'm going to look at the pilot because the pilot's face is going to tell me how long we have to live, right? <laughs> right? That's a pilot. pilot knows what to do, what's going on. Gets up looks over. The pilot is completely asleep. <laughs> Not bothered by anything at all. My buddy Ricky describes the moment as he began to realize if he's here and he's okay, I think I'll be okay. And he describes a sense of peace. You've felt this before. A sense of peace just kind of fell over him. And he was good. I've heard this story before. And I wonder, maybe that's how life should work for you and I. 
where instead of complicating life about who's going to do what and how's this going to happen, am I going to get healed? Are we going to have enough? Are they going to do what they should? Are we going to get back together? What if instead of overcomplicating it, what if we started with, God, you're with me. I need to dwell on the fact that you're with me. And perhaps if you would be willing to live with God with you, that you would find the peace that you're craving. It won't solve all your problems, but you'll have peace. And I, I assure you, peace is what you want, actually. Now, did a bit of a short dive. Let's do a dive on what was robbing you and I of shalom or, or a peace. One is shalom versus false security. Some of us are trying to go for false security. Like, why don't I have peace? Why don't I, why am I constantly striving, striving, striving? Why is this so tense? Perhaps false security, survival of the fittest. Maybe that's your version of life. That if you can get to the top and be at the top, then finally you're going to have peace because you're going to be at the top. But those of you who have ever gotten to the top go, mm, no, the air is more thin up here. And we think, if I'm the best, I'll have peace. Nope. Materialism is a good thing to talk about during Christmas. I won't harp on this because I'm like, I still got shopping to do. Come on. But materialism, the more you want, the more you crave, the more you gather, it's not about getting, you don't get security. You end up going, I've got to now take care of more. Fame, it's an annoying one these days. I hate seeing the articles now that say kids no longer want to be astronauts or teachers or police officers. They want to be YouTubers, which is fine, but when you get into the weeds, they often say because they, they want fame because fame is security. Respect. Some of us think that if we would just be respected for who we are, if we would just get that, then we would finally have the peace in life that we want, and that's just not true. It's a false sense of security. Uh, we go to false narratives, uh, taking offense. Uh, I'm not suggesting you, no, no one right listening right now ever takes offense too much, but our friends that do, we need to talk about that for a second, that, that sometimes if you're constantly getting offended by how people have said anything and everything and what they're doing, if you're offended that someone cut you off and did this and that and you're constantly offended, you're, you're getting angry, you go, yeah, I don't have peace. Those who use and abuse others, if I could find you. Oftentimes, bosses will do this, use and abuse their employees for the sake of a dollar or appearance. Unfortunately, sometimes people will do this in dating. We'll just use people. And I gotta tell you, there's no peace there. Eye for an eye, revenge. If I just got my revenge, if that person who did that to me just got taken out, oh, finally, I'd have peace. No, you won't. I was taught early on, bitterness locks the door on God. No, no, don't go too theological on me. No, yeah, God can break that door down. You better believe it. But I just don't want to make it difficult for God to get to me. I'd love for him not have to break doors down to get to David. And bitterness will do that to you and rob you of peace. Let's do one last one. Uh, false identity. If you feel shame about your past, fear in the present. If you just hate people or things, you're going to find yourself going, this is really difficult to live in peace. Uh, sin is often defined as the opposite of shalom. If you're living right now in sin, you're like, yeah, that's what the church always talks about. I should, I should just be perfect. No, you don't want sin in your life. You don't want to disregard the way of God because if you do, you're surrendering peace. Shalom. Hmm. About 600 years before Jesus ever shows up, 
multiple prophecies are written about the coming of Jesus. God would reveal certain things to certain people to be said. You can find some of it in Zephaniah. Uh, Zephaniah says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is speaking about the future. It has not happened yet in this case. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. This is a prophecy. It hasn't happened, but it's going to happen. You shall never again fear evil in your midst. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. If you don't know what that means, other definitions would be don't let your hands grow limp. In other words, uh, you're not, don't, don't be defenseless. Don't be defenseless. The Lord your God is in your midst. You're not defenseless anymore. Uh, to a group of people who know what defenseless looks like, a mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness, he will be He'll quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing in your midst, in your midst, in your midst. Let me summarize a lot of the Bible for you. Over and over and over, God's going, you got problems? Yep, but I'm in your midst. I'm in your midst. I'm in your midst. I'll get in conversations where folks will say, hey, David, can we talk about heaven and hell? We do a series on heaven and hell, which we should. That would be fantastic. We've done it before. But oftentimes it's like, what do you think hell is like? What do you think heaven is like? Let's talk about what's the Bible say about heaven and hell. And, and, and we need to get into those details. But can I give you a short synopsis of this? And we're talking about hell. How hot is it? I mean, is it like, is it like 101 with humidity or is it a dry heat? Like, what, how bad is this? And, and, then, and then how bad is it smell? What's the kind of pain related to hell? And, and here, I can tell you, you know what the worst thing of hell is? God's not there. Yes, pain, ugliness. I I don't even know that you and I could fully grasp how bad hell is. Hell is real. Jesus talks about hell. But the worst thing about it is what makes heaven so awesome. It's the presence of God. And perhaps you and I need to be reminded in this moment, like what is good about life? There's a lot of bad, right? You need me to make a list of all the bad? No, you don't. But you crave peace. You need it. And it has to do with the presence of God. A little history lesson. I know some folks are trying to redefine this. However, <laughs> history is defined by the presence of God or the presence of Jesus, who is God. If you don't remember this in class, you're like, I wonder what that meant. Uh, B.C., before Christ, A.D. in the Latin, talking about in the year of our Lord. When you and I talk about time, when you, if you ever use the terminology 2022. And you're like, is it 22? I thought it was 21 still. If you ever use the year, do you know what you're doing? You're acknowledging that Jesus himself defines time. There's a logical question. Will you let the presence of God define you? We're letting it define time for us. I, uh, I can't fix your problems. It'd be fun if I could. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I bet in the years to come, you're going to encounter more problems. I will too. But I can tell you from personal experience, problems with peace are easier than problems without peace. 
So this Christmas season, would you consider doing everything you possibly can to remind yourself that God is in our midst? I don't care where you work, if it's socially acceptable for you to talk about Jesus, that's fine. He's still there. In some of the worst places you could ever imagine, I think God's presence is still there. May you never forget the meaning of Emmanuel, God, is with us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us. I don't want to, God, I don't want to take advantage. I don't, I don't want to just, I don't want to just assume that that was easy for you to do. So God, we recognize what, uh, what took place, what you've had to go through to be with us. But for those right now who feel you are so distant, for those right now that whatever they're facing is so big and daunting, in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you fill their life with peace? Would your presence be real to them? Lord, help us to be a church where we acknowledge your presence. God, we love you, and we celebrate you this Christmas season. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.